everybody. Stephanie here before the episode with a shameless plug. Um, after years of doing this on an ad hoc basis and lots of encouragement from those I've worked with, I'm excited to share that I am finally formalizing my holistic sex and relationships coaching practice. And I coach over Skype, so it's not limited to New York City. And I work with individuals and couples and give writing prompts in between sessions and often suggested physical explorations as well. And I care a lot about access, so my rates are on a sliding scale fixed to income. And if I could be a resource for you, I would love to talk further and explore how we might work together. And you can reach me at stephanie at sexforsmartpeople.com. You can find more information uh, about my philosophies, which I guess you already know if you are a listener to this podcast. And also you can read testimonials from people I've worked with over the years. And uh, you can find that at sexforsmartpeople.com and click on face to face. So if this interests you, let's talk. And now on to the episode proper. Our love is what we make of it. 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 Sex for smart people. That means you. Oh, hi. Hello. Welcome to Sex for Smart People. I'm Dave and my preferred pronoun is he. And I'm Stephanie and my preferred pronouns are she or they. And um, I'm Avital, and my preferred pronouns are she, her, hers, but I don't get bent out of shape. And Avital, I'm so thrilled that you are back with us. We loved having you on Quickies episode number 10. Welcome back. Thank you. And for those of you... Avital is a burlesque performer and administrator and also a sex educator at Babeland. Much to discuss. An entire land of babes. It it actually is. I mean, there's no false advertising there. Excellent. So we're going to start out the way that we start out on most of these interviews, which is to ask you, what is your relationship to relationships? Well, I mean, a a profound and diverse relationship, I think. Um, I mean, relationships can have a sort of capital R or a lowercase R, I guess the lowercase R is like that. I believe that the connectivity between myself and all of the people around me is like, that's the reason why I'm here. Um, that's, that's the reason why I'm alive is to make connections with people. Um, capital R relationships, I think often refers to a kind of sexual and romantic relationship. Um, now I am, you know, lucky enough to have a diverse number of those in my life and to have had a diverse number of those in my life. And then also, uh, because of the work that I do, I'm, I'm very intimately acquainted with talking to other people about their own capital R relationships. Um, so I kind of am hitting at it from all sides, I guess. And as you hit at it from all sides, um, what, um, I know I haven't gotten yet to see your work as a burlesque performer, but I know that's a big part of what you do. What has been like kind of the the core of of what you do there? Or is there a way it makes sense to describe your the act you're most passionate about to us? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if there's a single act. Um, I think there's sort of a progression. My my burlesque philosophy is to create work that is at once sort of challenging and welcoming. So stuff that takes the tropes of what we are accustomed to in burlesque and, and uses them to kind of um, maybe push boundaries a little bit. Um, I think I'm able to, like the nudity is the spoonful of sugar. And then 
I'm able to get away with a lot more sort of politically or just personally, like telling, telling stories um, because I'm naked and because there's glitter involved, uh, people seem to be much more receptive to it. And then more broadly, I mean, just, just being on stage has a lot to do. Like it's a radical act for, for anybody to be like naked on stage and, and empowered in their own bodies. Yeah, certainly. You know, and so, so to be part of that, and part of that community is is a real pleasure and and to promote body positivity and what I do is super duper important to me. Mm. To borrow a question from Stephanie, um, what lit the fire under your butt to become a sex educator? Become a sex educator. I would add also to become a burlesque performer as well. Oh my God. Oh, okay. I, feel I, feel like it's all. All. I feel like it's yeah, all. It's, oh yeah, yeah. It's holistic. It is. <laughs> it is truly holistic. So um, With a W? <laughs> yeah, after the age. It's holistic. <laughs> Um, I'll start with the sex educator stuff because that actually came first. So when I was three, I asked about, you know, human bodies and reproduction and stuff like that. And my mother worked for Planned Parenthood in the 70s and was very matter of fact about it. Taught me everything that I needed to know when I was like in the bathtub and got me a copy of Our Bodies Ourselves. So there was always information available to me. Cool mom. Super cool mom. And as a result, I was able to be the person to transmit that information to my friends. So when I was 11, I went to Jewish girls overnight camp and I taught them all about the existence of the clitoris, drew them a diagram, taught them how to masturbate and <laughs> apparently made some people very happy that night. They like <laughs> in the dining hall in the morning, they were like, Oh my God, thank you. <laughs> oh, wait, how old were you? 11. So, you know, fighting the good fight, doing well the done. good work. Thank you. And, uh, my friends would always joke that I should be a sexologist. Uh, and, and I was like, no, whatever. Don't be stupid. But they would always come to me with their sex questions. So then when I moved to New York, uh, Babeland was like a haven for me, um, a place where I personally felt very comfortable and I was looking for work and I thought that it might be a good fit. It turned out to be. Mm. So that's, that's the sex educator stuff. Fantastic. The burlesque stuff happened. I've always been a performer. Um, my parents report that, again, around that same age, maybe three, four, I was, like, giving lectures in the aquarium because we had, like, a fish tank that my dad would talk to me about so that when I went to the aquarium, I would, like, host talks and that there would just be, like, grown-ups walking behind me learning about the fish. <laughs> um, so I think I've always been demonstrative in that way. Um, and then I saw my first burlesque performance when I was in New York um, back when I was still in college. And I was like, oh, this is this is a, ma a kind of magic that people on earth are able to do. And so I just wanted to be involved in that however possible. What was that performance? Do you remember? Yeah, it was a show called Pinch Bottom Burlesque. It was at I a, love Pinch Bottom. I love them. Um, it was at a venue called Collective Unconscious that no longer exists. Um, and it, it had a lot of my idols. I mean, my... I currently, I work at the New York School of Burlesque and, and Joe Weldon, who's the headmistress, was in that show, as was Darlinda, just Darlinda, who's like my burlesque mother. Um, so a lot of the people that I'm now grateful to be contemporaries with were in that that first inspiring show. Hmm. And this, totally feel free to deflect if this goes to a more personal place than you want to go. Okay. But the wait, whole... Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> okay, go. Okay, go. You ready? Um... The, the, the serious kind of courage that burlesque performance takes and, um, and embrace of and love of your body, like, is that something that's always 
that's come as easily to you as, as talking about sex with, with your friends when you were younger? Or is that, has that been a journey for you? Yeah, certainly it has not been. That has been the most difficult piece of it. Uh, I conceived of my first, I guess, quasi-proto-burlesque piece when I was still at school um, at Oberlin. And I performed it, but I was so self-conscious about my body that I like had to end in kind of just like a full dress, like a short mini dress. Um, but I wasn't comfortable taking anything else off. And I've had a very sort of long and I guess sorted, complicated history with my body. Um, and I guess that's true of anybody who has a body. Like it's never, you know, uh, an easy linear journey to self-acceptance. Uh, but I thought, okay, how much time, how much time do I waste hating myself and like what are better uses of that time mm. um, that it really became like a matter of just thinking about the economy and the value of my time and and then from there I was like okay so how can I make these little shifts um, but I used to throw up before I would perform not for eating disorder reasons but because I was super nervous mm. <laughs> so, um, now thankfully that's no longer the case I don't like getting on stage with my clothes on I, I'm, <laughs> I, I marvel at the courage of, of taking them off <laughs> People talk about the bravery of it, but at the same time, there's a real, you have a real mask. Like a lot of it is about the presentation of artifice and then using that artifice to say something real. So I'm, if I'm naked, I'm only, I'm only as naked as I choose to be, but having makeup and a wig on and body glitter and heels and stuff like that, that's all a kind of armor that I think I, I'm, I wear sometimes. Um, I recently did a piece uh, at Coney Island that was for a Marina Abramovic tribute show. And I, uh, I reenacted her piece rhythm zero, which is where there's a table full of objects and I inhabit a passive role and allow people to interact with me and those objects, however they want. Um, and I wasn't wearing any makeup and I didn't have heels on and people were, were touching me and interacting with me with these objects. That was scary. Mm. Oh Yeah. You know, yeah. three hours of total passivity with strangers was super scary. Hi, hi, hi. But nothing, nothing that I do on stage has that same sort of vulnerable feeling as much anymore. Hmm. Uh, and you were telling us just before we pressed record um, what the the show, the new act that's that's cooking in your brain and heart. Um, would you be? open really? to sharing about that here and when can people come see it if they're interested? This is great. Okay. So, uh, I, I interact with bachelorettes a lot in all the different aspects of my life. I mean, personally being in my mid to late twenties, now people are starting to get married. Bachelorette parties are happening at Bayland. I, I teach bachelorette parties, like toy parties that are kind of Tupperware parties for sex toys. And then performing, at, uh, doing burlesque, um, a lot of venues will have bachelorette parties who are coming as part of their celebration. So I want to inhabit the body and soul of a bachelorette. And because <laughs> it's kind of like, in some ways, it's this very ancient kind of ritualistic behavior, right? This like sexual um, openness that's coming only because there's a marriage about to happen. So it's okay to start being like an openly sexual person. I think that's what a lot of the penis crown kind of. That had never occurred is. to me. Intriguing. You know that it's like we're not allowed to, women are not, are not supposed to be openly sexual, but because it's happening in celebration of this, this matrimony now that it's okay. Wow. I think I completely misread that. I, um, maybe it's, maybe it's, maybe it's different for a bachelor party, but I, I thought that my take on that was 
or my guess on that, and I guess it was not a considered one, was that it was a celebration of the last day you were allowed to be freely sexual. Well, I, th- I imagine it's a bit of both. I think that's probably the Ooh, guess. But the I do think that it is, ro- it is different <laughs> for cisgendered men and cisgendered women. Yes. As well. And I think yes. what you're talking about points to that. Yeah. And this is all, I mean, I'm, I'm acknowledging how like heterocentric this is um, to even talk about. Um, but yes, I think, I think a bachelor party and a bachelorette party have slightly different uh, expectations. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think part of that is about exactly is about that sort of um, that weird edge there. Intriguing. So, do you have an idea? Do you have a release date or? A, oh yeah. Or a, okay. I guess a wedding date for this. <laughs> I don't. I'm getting married to my show. <laughs> no, I'm constantly. I'm. I'm of course always married to my show. <laughs> uh, I have plans, if all goes well, with costuming and choreography to perform it um, Friday, July 25th, I believe, at the Slipper Room. Yeah. Um, and then at. On August 1st at Coney Island at a show called Goddamn Women, um, which is all about uh, women who have sort of defied uh, normative culture. That's a fantastic name for a show. Oh, nice. it's it's not mine. This is this is Joe Weldon from the New York School of Burlesque, and I'm so excited to nice. be part of it. And we will ask you for the details of that, and we will post on our Facebook page. That's fabulous. Um, you guys want to answer some questions? Let's do it. Yeah! yeah. On to your questions. Woot. First, we have a crowdsource question. Yeah! The <laughs> mighty return of the crowdsource question. <laughs> we warned you about this, Avital. Oh, Would you consider joining us singing the crowdsource question theme song? All right. And I'm going to just apologize in advance. No, no, <laughs> you got it. Everybody, everybody at home, wherever you are in the car, on the train, just everybody, join in. Here we Everybody, everybody now. Crowdsource question. Yeah, <laughs> it's been a while. It feels good. The good prodigal question has returned. And also, I want to reemphasize that every question truly is a crowdsource question. Just this is one like other crowdsource questions that we wait until we have a bunch of responses roll in before we actually Would you do say it. that we've sourced the crowd? <laughs> we have sourced the crowd. <laughs> yeah. Stephanie, what is the crowdsource question? The crowdsource question is... Hey, SFSP, you say often that communication is the most important thing and that you should talk to each other about things. But what happens when you have tried your hardest to talk about things and still there are major problems? Where do you think is the line between nobody's perfect and all relationships take work and a partnership that just isn't healthy or working out and should be moved on from? Well... We have four responses. Mm-hmm. And we had more responses than this. Thank you so much to everybody who wrote in and that all will inform this conversation. But here are the four that we're going to read today. Yeah. Uh, response number one. I've been thinking about this a lot lately, actually. I think it comes down to knowing yourself and what your needs are. It's hard, but what helps me is to understand the difference in myself between like, I understand that this is something this person can't give me right now. And this is a quality act, etc., that I need to be happy in a relationship. Along those lines, the difference between needs and wants. If I have a partner who, for instance, doesn't like to be touched in the pants, vague, haha, well, I want to touch them in the pants, but I don't necessarily need to, versus like if this is someone who doesn't want to communicate clearly about and during sex, which I absolutely need in order to feel safe. Response number two. The line between we should keep working on things and we aren't right for each other is a tough one. But I personally think that people should break up more. 
I think about it in terms of the concept of homeostasis. Systems tend to perpetuate themselves, or rather a thing that is happening tends to keep happening, whether or not it is quote-unquote working. I know that relationships take work, and I'm not suggesting that everybody should bail as soon as things get hard, but I think that many people stay in relationships long past the point where they are fulfilling for everyone involved just out of fear and maybe also out of love of comfort. Change is inevitable in life, and sometimes you change together and sometimes you don't. If you have changed and moved in ways that are no longer aligned, it's okay. You are allowed to break up. People need to remember that. It can be hard, but it doesn't have to be dramatic. Why would you want to cling to a thing that isn't allowing either of you to be your best selves? Thanks, SFSP, for all you do. This conversation is fucking refreshing. Um, response number three. This is from Bobby Siegelbaum, who was uh, one of our guests on episode 15. Yay, Bobby. Of Bobby and Steve. Uh, here's what Bobby says. Here are some thoughts from life experiences, observations, and just being. One, considering that each person brings their own personal baggage, personalities, expectations, experiences, and influences to any relationship, some things to consider. A, honest, productive communication and communicating is not easy and, yes, takes work. Being open and being able to listen and hear what the other person is saying is not always an easy task, but is very important. Therefore, I have found that choosing one's battles is important. Giving each other space. Accepting, adjusting, and adapting to differences can't change the person. One needs to be comfortable with self and circumstances. It's helpful when partners are able to see and accept both flaws and positive personality traits. Problems occur when the flaws outnumber what can sustain a loving, caring, supportive, and passionate relationship. Keeping in mind that there is no such thing as perfection, no formula. All couples have certain unique qualities, and what works for one may be a disaster for another. In all caps, TRUST sense of humor as well as the ability to laugh at oneself simply if one is in an abusive disconnected passionless relationship bail some relationships can't be worked on feeling bad about yourself and your partner and feeling as if you are constantly banging your head against the wall has nothing to do with perfection or working on fixing a relationship that's simply masochistic finally life is short enjoy what you have as you grow together making love physically and emotionally while connecting intellectually is what each couple makes their own for us, another factor has been sharing a fundamental worldview and sense of morality. This has been the glue that keeps us focused and together. And then there is our family and grandchildren. That's the cement. I don't mean to go on and on. And though after almost 49 years of marriage and 53 years of knowing each other, I am just sharing from our life experiences and do not profess to be an expert. We are still working on communication and have had some stormy times, but we truly love each other and are very committed to each other and can't imagine life without each other. Oh, Bobby and Steve, we love you. Um, I like puppy noises. Response number four, which is from our friends Emily and Moti. Uh, wow, that's a very difficult question. I think it all depends on your initial commitment to that particular relationship to begin with. Perhaps lifelong commitment is not something that you really need or not the healthiest thing for you as an individual. I'm not writing about that type of partnership, but rather what Moti and I believe about our marriage, which is a sworn lifelong commitment. So this is within that context. We are still so young in our relationship, having dated for four years and been married an additional two. I feel a bit ignorant to even write on the topic. I know that there are individuals who are in marriages or lifelong commitments of 10 or 50 years and truly feel that they have attempted to communicate in every way possible and still have major problems. But here is a meager attempt to answer the question to the best of my ability. Moti and I have shared beliefs about the discipline of love, and that helps us to remain committed to each other. 
oh, how our love and mutual adoration has grown within it. We have a reap what you sow philosophy. We believe that if you expect someone to love you fully, you have to love them no less. We both believe strongly that to truly mend our broken parts, we have to cha change ourselves and our own approach to the other one. Attempt to be more selfless. Attempt to give, care, desire, serve, and listen to the other more if we feel we aren't being given to, cared for, desired, served, or listened to. You just cannot take the other one for granted or ever stop working on yourself. It's never finalized. It'll always evolve. You're going to change, and they're going to change, and you won't even notice at first. What do you do? So you have to understand that the person may change from the beginning and commit with that knowledge and be willing to deal with the change when it comes and stay and remain faithful and, again, try to better yourself. So to truly answer your question, when do you know you should move on? Our answer is never, and then star, 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 grain of salt. Um, but then... Uh, there may come a time when you have to, when you should, because the person has turned into somebody you simply cannot have and hold. But we think it should be the very last straw. We have so many natural instincts to trade in for a newer model. I don't think that that is what love is. And we have to sometimes fight even ourselves to suppress that instinct. I think also, sorry, but my parents are a great example of a successful long-term relationship. And there was a period of about 10 years when they didn't meet each other, you know, in spirit where communication didn't solve anything. They had a rough go at it. And now you should see them. They could outshine Romeo and Juliet. So sometimes it's hard for years and then things change again. That is where our little essay ends, but we have one last thought. We think it's similar to being an artist. Sometimes we have droughts or the universe says no to us and our self-expression, but we are always an artist. We feel the same way about ourselves and our union, why we share a last name that we are just together regardless of circumstances. But we are so young, so naive, ha! Huh? So again, grain of salt. I'm just always so, so blown away by the generosity of people who share and, and the idea that our listeners are the sexiest. Thank you so much to everybody who wrote in. Yes, thank you. Those are some long and thorough. Yeah. Thorough. 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 They were quite thorough. Indeed. What's do you have an immediate response to hearing that question and those responses? What where are your thoughts on this? I mean, the responses are very moving. Um, and I found myself agreeing with each and every one, which I think really does go to show that there isn't there isn't a single right answer. Um and and anybody who says different is probably fooling themselves. Word. Um that like everybody's set point is going to be different. Everybody's needs are going to be different. Um I'm reminded, I mean, the, the last uh, response talking about love as art and mm -hmm. people in, in loving relationships as artists, I think is first of all, just intellectually and spiritually very beautiful. But I also am reminded of something that I was taught in improv, um, when I was in an improv group in college and, and that was, uh, hold on tightly, let go lightly. That was something mm. that we would say all mm. the time. And, and that's because we were trying to create something together that was cohesive, um, that, that flowed, that told a story that had, you know, relationships and hold on tightly, like, like really follow what your objective is, really advocate for yourself and then let go lightly when you notice that things are, um, are taking another turn, like allow yourself to, to go along with it, um, and, and seed what your immediate personal needs are. Um, for the better of, of the product. And I think, I think that's, that's applicable to a lot of, a lot of what people are saying here. 
um, that we need to be advocates for ourselves and our desires. Um, I, I will be unwavering on that, but that, that we also need to have an attitude of, of collaboration and an attitude of forgiveness. I just want to cop to that. I really sit in this question myself, this crowdsource question where, um, yeah. And I, I really like your hold on tightly, let go lightly. I think there's a lot of wisdom in that. Um, so I, as often, I just feel like anything that I say is so grain of salt too, as Emily and Modi said. Be the salt, embrace the salt. Here's the immediate question that I have out of that. Part of that is that um, in any relationship, however many people are involved, I feel like just the way that humans work, each of, each of the people involved will change, right? This mm-hmm. is part of what a relationship is, is that there's some push and pull and that you find yourself becoming a new and hopefully a, a better, more interesting, kinder person because of the relationship. But when you're doing self-reflexive thinking, self-reflection, and realize that you're changing in a way that you don't want to be changing... Is being aware of that enough or is there, is there a moment where you say, I'm actually, the way this relationship is going is not right for me. And how do you know when that's happening? I think that that is the crux yeah. of this and that's what's so complex. And that, um, cause I think we're, we're, we seem to be all in alignment here that like it's none of us are saying you should, the minute that things get hard, run for the hills and none of us are saying, um, uh, you know, stick with it no matter what. I think we all feel that there are so much, there's so much gradation in between and something that, that what both of you said point, I'm having two main thoughts. One, I'm just thinking about this, this Taoist statement that I read recently. Like, are you ready to, or are, the rest. do you, yeah. <laughs> oh, every time, every, every, every time you get me on this podcast, <laughs> we talk about the nine. Daoists. I'm not complaining. About the nine, no, what, what I meant to say is, um, do you have the patience to, Wait until the mud settles and the water is clear. So part of that is like waiting until the mud settles is just like acknowledging the complexity in this. But then the the water being clear, I think for me in my life, I've been working on in a lot of things, um, having a little bit more patience with the big questions and waiting until the mud settles. But then the discernment of when is the water clear or yeah. when is it time to move on or time to work through it? I think that that's the big question. And something that was coming to mind as we read these um, these really diverse and all really wise uh, responses is just the different notions of and definitions of what real love is. Like um, to Emily and Modi, who I love and respect and cherish so much, like uh, they articulated that love is some, some version of really sticking to it. They said, and and I um, and I can see that, and I also think that um, two other definitions of love are coming to mind. One is I think that people often conflate love with compatibility. Um, And I think that... um, That's interesting. Just because um, this is a notion that's not totally my own, but now I'm riffing at it in my own way. But I, this, I, this... It's like like podcast jazz is what you're saying. Yeah, podcast jazz. (laughs) Here I go. Um, But... um, this 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 feeling strongly or feeling a strong connection to somebody, whether short or long term, I'm yeah. not just talking about that initial rush of endorphins when you're feeling so in love and swept away, even just like just feeling a lot in, in, in an ongoing way or not like that may or may not be that like 
building a life together is a good idea. I think that that these things get really tangled as necessarily meaning the same thing. And in this article that I read, which which brought up uh, this idea of love versus compatibility, one thing that I liked was it saying like there are things that people put up with in loves or partners that they would never put up with with friends. And so that's the thing. Oh, but I'm just so, I just love them so much. And yeah, but. Um, you know, on the other hand, I think that you can have a situation where you're just so richly compatible and you do like love each other in a sense, like you care about each other, but don't feel a certain kind of spark. And I'm not advocating that that's necessarily best either. I just think I I see a lot, um, what this article pointed to, which like, it's just, it's often like, oh, but I love them so much. So I excuse this, this major incompatibility. And I don't always think that's a good thing, even though I totally believe in long-term investment and working on things and choosing to grow together when it's really a fulfilling thing for both of you. I just like, can't be clear enough about that, that I, I'm so into investing in, in people and in love and in building. Um, but the other, so the other thing that comes to mind where there's one definition of love that Emily Moti brought up that like love means sticking with it no matter what. And like that stirs a chord in me. So there's some part of me that, that agrees with that. Um, but I guess I think I ultimately believe in a slightly different definition of love, which I think that you're pointing to with the um, hold tightly, let go lightly, which is there's a, there, there's a point at which I think it's like I love you enough to let you go or I love myself enough that I need to move on. And I don't know where that point is for people. I don't even know where that point is for me half the time. But I, but I, I still can recognize that as as a way to operate. That like, there, I also it resonates with me. The second person who wrote like, people should break up more. Like I think it is true that people stick with things sometimes out of fear. And so, um, I think now I'm rambling. But I've. I've thrown my initial responses out there. Anyone else? Um, Yeah, I would say, well, first of all, um, breaking up with somebody doesn't necessarily mean that you don't love them anymore. Yay. Mm. Yay. (laughs) Which is Dave and Stephanie case in point. Oh, the love. Oh, the love. Oh, the love. Oh God. (laughs) I said, I need to tell you that. And, and you're allowed to have that. Like you're allowed to have that love. And I think people are so afraid of that. Like we, we are socialized in a way where breaking up means, you know, that you hate the person or you scorch the fucking earth. Exactly. And I'm Mm. not saying that that's not a good thing sometimes because sometimes you got to just like send them like Thelma and Louise style, (laughs) you know, in, in the convertible off the mountain, um, in your mind, in your mind, in your mind, in your mind. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Um, but, uh, we're allowed to have, we're allowed to really deeply love and cherish and, and honor people that we, can't stand to be with or that that hurt us really badly and or we know that are not right for us to have these continuing long-term you know consistent intimate relationships with Mm -hmm. um so giving ourselves permission to do that i think does sort of open things a little bit um understanding like that you are allowed to have the feelings that you have for somebody while not you know taking on all the additional responsibilities of what a partnership with them might be like the other thing I would say is I'm a big on signs and wonders. I know that this is very like Old Testament, whatever. I had a religious sort of background. So I... So, oh, that makes three of us. Hey, what's up, y'all? So I, I pay attention to my dreams. And 
um, oh, hi. When my, uh, when my relationships are ending, I tend to have these incredibly symbolic and portentous dreams. And like some days, like the day before a breakup uh, or like when I knew a breakup needed to happen, I was walking around, um, in Williamsburg and I just saw dead birds everywhere. There were just bird carcasses everywhere I looked. And I was like, I was like, okay, all right. Something was flying. Something is now done. Like I need to, I need to do something about this. Um, so I think, I think pay attention, like ask yourself how you feel, look around. Um, like we are the only ones who are able to make the call. So, so pay attention. Hmm. Don't you love how you have me on the podcast and then Whoa, I talk about dead birds. Dead birds. It was so crazy. I will say it was, it, yeah, it was wild. completely nuts. But what you're essentially, what's underneath what you're saying or what I hear is, is like, there's a certain version of like, really trust yourself. And for you, part of that deepest, truest self is these signs that you notice. And, yes. um, and I really hear you on the really trust yourself part. In short, shit's complicated. Yep. Oh, man. <laughs> be kind to yourself and each other. Wow. And if everybody I, loved each other, the world would be, would be a, a better, better place, place to, to live. live in. Thank you, Tommy Weasel in the room. <laughs> if you know that, please give us a shout out and we should Amazing. all have a watching party together. What doesn't he know about love? That's, that's a better question. <laughs> You're taking me apart, Lisa. Are you kidding? Of course. They've already put my ideas into practice. Oh, <laughs> oh man. So this, like... Everything we should, I mean, it's like so much that we talk about. This could be so expansive, but I feel like um, we're not going to reach anything conclusive here today. And we would love to continue to hear your thoughts, any of you who are listening. And um, I think that it might be okay to move on to the next question, knowing that this is ongoing. That being said, last thoughts before we do? Yeah, just that being, can, can I, is, is, this might be weird. Can we put out a call for stories about good breakups? Oh. Yeah. Can you tell us about your good breakups, the breakups mm-hmm. where you love each other and you still love each other, but you just shouldn't be in a romantic relationship or a primary romantic relationship? We want to know about your good breakups. Oh, I'm so glad you said that. And I, I think, do think, as now both of you have brought up, there's such a dearth of that. And um, Elena Gabosh, the head of the Center for Sex Positive Culture in Seattle, is uh curating a, co- a book called happy endings which is a collection of those stories too so awesome. we should we should all look up that book and also please write into us yeah. too and i would love to to celebrate that because i want to celebrate enduring ongoing thriving love like some of that we heard about from other the responses and also really healthy breakups which we need more good narratives out there about i think that's a skill that a lot of people like there's no, there's no formal education for it. So uh-huh. people sort of struggle forward. Um, and there's like a massive learning curve. And a lot of it also has to do with like, everybody wants everyone to walk away, not feeling crappy, hopefully. Um, but a lot of times that ends up being like, I feel afraid. I feel afraid of, of making you hurt. So I'm going to stop returning calls or mm. something like that. Um, and, and we're afraid of, we're afraid of doing the, the more sort of I don't know, uh, like the scarier, potentially like short term, more painful thing. Um, but the people who do it, people who like break up well, I commend you like well done. It is, it is so much better to have these difficult, terrible conversations or like difficult, not terrible conversations and to, and to part ways and, and to do it honoring each other. And as you commend us, let me also say that and and everybody else who has done this but as you're looking directly at us as you say that um 
oh my God, not that our breakup was not incredibly sad and hard. Yeah. But agreed. was ultimately loving and very healthy as well. Also and agreed. So yes, it yeah. is possible. We want to hear your stories too. Back to us. Tell us how you did it well. Yeah. Nicely done. Yeah. Nicely done, you guys. Cheers. <laughs> Question two. That's our new question two theme song. Question two. <laughs> With Harmony now. Harmony now. <laughs> question two. Oh, God. God. We no, Edit that. that. Please no, put anything else. No, just, definitely. Just a dog barking instead of that. By Freddie Mercury. <laughs> when I am having sex with my husband, I often feel dry. How do I know if there is something wrong with me? Or do you really use lube every time you have sex? Also, some... There are some positions where it actually hurts to have him inside me, like it might be doing damage to my internal organs. What parts of this are normal and what should I be worried about? I think that we should, I think it's a reasonable guess. I think that this is a, a female bodied person writing this question. In. I think, I think we can assume that. Okay. In this case. Okay. Um, but, but I think questions about lube and fit apply to everybody. Yeah. Regardless of bodies and gender, gender uh -huh. identity. Um, and, Yay for lube is what I have to say. And then I want to pass it along to our sex educator from Babeland. Okay. Yeah. You are right in my wheelhouse here. So let me talk about lube. Your wheelhouse is full of lube. <laughs> Ooh, <laughs> it's, it's a slippery, slidey place. <laughs> it, is a, it is a wet wheelhouse. Moist. <laughs> so, okay. So first of all, here's the thing. Um, some bodies do create some lubrication on their own. Uh, but that those lubrication levels change due to a variety of different reasons. So some of that might just mean um, like chronic dehydration, which a lot of us definitely suffer from not drinking enough water. Some of it has to do with uh, hormones or hormonal changes. Um, sometimes there are certain medications that can inhibit um, bodies from creating a lot of lubrication. Uh, sometimes you had a lot of coffee that day. Sometimes, you know, whatever, stress levels, sleep levels, all of that stuff. Um, and then beyond that, there are parts of our bodies that don't create their own um, lubrication or that do when it's not sufficient. Um, don't worry about it. Your mm -hmm. body is normal. Normal is a very is a very strange word to use when talking about sexuality, but there's nothing like there's nothing wrong with anybody um, who needs to use lube, who wants to use lube, who gets to use lube. Lube is awesome. Lube is amazing. Um, Yay. Yay and if, lube. Because it, it makes things that might not be possible be possible. It like allows things to slide and slip. Um, it can create like greater tactile feeling. Uh, it can prevent chafing. Like all of these things are awesome. Now there's there's a sort of cultural stigma around using lube. People are afraid to use it um, or worried about what it might mean if they do. Or like somebody's not turned on enough because if you were tuned, turned on enough, you'd have enough natural lubrication. Right. Or, then we'd all mm. be these little waterfalls. It's just, <laughs> it's just not reasonable. It's not a reasonable thing that, that we ask of our bodies. And um, like, even if, even if that were the case, like, I don't know who cares. I, I like to just get away from the concept of should and like the idea that my body should be doing these things. Otherwise, this means X about my life, X about my sexuality. It's all self-determined. Um, if you are turned on and you're like, hey, I'm turned on, then guess what? You're turned, you're turned on. on. Yeah, yep. exactly. Yep. So Absolutely. <laughs> um, lube every time. If you feel dry. Lube, yeah. Yeah. Lube. Oh, my God. Mm. So, yeah. Lube, lube every time. Hurt, really? 
Does that does it? Do people actually use lube every time they have sex? Yeah, totally. Yep. Totally. Yeah. Yep. Yes, they yep. do. Yes, yes they do. absolutely, they do. Um, I carry a bottle. Weird people. <laughs> Just kidding. Sorry. No. <laughs> I mean, weird people, not weird people. You know, <laughs> tall people, short people. We all. I carry a bottle of silicone lube in my bag at all times. Um, first of all, because you never know. But also, it defrizzes hair. I use it as shaving cream since it's um, not water soluble, and uh, it fixes squeaky doors. I use it as my thighs <laughs> chafe when I walk. So in the summer, it's really nice to just have a little bit of lube in there. Like it's it's awesome. Use it use it all the time and be excited about it um, because the things that you're excited about are going to get the other person like stoked on it. Totally, totally. Um, if uh, as a as a household question if 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 you are out of your store-bought lube is there anything around the house that will double as lube that's safe or do you really need to go buy some some lube this is a great question so um a lot of i've heard and read a lot of stuff about using coconut oil as a lubricant Mm -hmm. people really like coconut oil because it has um antimicrobial uh uh qualities to it um and because it has a really long-lasting slip since it's not going to dry up or evaporate i generally speaking have uh, caution people away from using oil as lubricant. So our own body's lube, we are water-based beings. So mm. oil and water don't mix. Um, even though it is antimicrobial, having oil hanging out in your genitals that have its own very specific sort of flora and fauna um, is not a really awesome and idea. And also oil-based lubricant and condoms is a no-go. Is a no-no. Except I read recently with the female condom. Which that, is made out of polyisoprene. That, that oil-based lubricants can be okay. That yeah. doesn't negate what you're saying, but just definitely right. oil-based lubricants and condoms no 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 yeah condoms um latex dental dams latex gloves you never want to use anything that's oil-based because it's just going to bust those super quick um in general like so for things that are uh external for like external genital massage um hand jobs titty fucking all that kind of stuff uh oil is okay as long as the oil isn't going anywhere inside their body or anybody else's body um and gets washed off if any if any other sort of penetrative stuff is going to happen. Um, so, eh, I don't really recommend DIY. Yeah, this is like I saw you know last Tango in Paris. I know what they did with the butter. Don't be those people. Well, what did they do with butter? They used it as an anal lubricant. A stick of butter. That wasn't the worst thing that happened in that movie. They made some choices, but <laughs> I would say lube. If you're out of it, get some. Get some more. Have some on reserve. I have. Bottles and bottles. Ooh. It's like the apocalypse okay. could happen. But a real so, uh, I am I am a huge fan of lube, and I am not a fan of chemicals in my body. Yeah, and toxins and stuff. And yep. so I um, I feel like I'm never sure whether something is being marketed as like natural or green, and like really is. And so, um, what are what is your advice on like those who also have that concern? Like, what's like a an actual like organic or more natural? thing that yeah. people can use are there totally brands that are better than body others? healthy rather than organic and natural sure yes yeah. that's much better yeah that's a good way to put it right yeah I, I like to caution people away from the stuff that they throw at parades or the stuff that you might get at a drugstore um drugstore or in a stick of butter or <laughs> yes <laughs> or the things you might get at your green grocer um yeah i would say uh take a look at the ingredients so um, there's no such thing as an FDA or a ruling sort of governmental body for like sexual wellness products and lubes and stuff like that, which sucks. So that means that they're not required to actually list their ingredients if they don't want to, or to disclose all of them. If anybody is a biochemist out there or researches these things, please get on that. 
We could really use some regulation here, actually, I think. Yeah, with stuff that people are putting in their junk or their friends' junk, yes. I think that's pretty important. I would like some research on that. Well, you know, people don't have to have sex off at all. I'm kidding. Sorry. Just, I've been, we're, we're just after the Hobby Lobby decision God. in this room oh, and God. I can, can feel the visceral uh, anger. Please go on. Um, I thought we were going to discuss asexuality, which I'm I, totally happy to talk yes, about. No, I was being, I was being a jerk. Being arch. Um, so take a look at the ingredients. Uh, if if uh, lube doesn't have its ingredients listed, don't buy it. Um, right. Look for stuff that is... Uh, stuff that you know about. Yeah. Look for things that are plant-based that have plant cellulose or aloe or carrageenan in it. Um, things that, that you're like, Oh, this doesn't seem like it's just like a list of, you know, petroleum byproducts or anything like that. Um, the, the exception to that rule for me is silicone lube. Um, because silicone is not something you don't naturally like go to the silicone tree, you know, and squeeze out silicone lube. So for that reason, people don't like it cause it doesn't feel you know, they use the word natural. It's not a naturally occurring substance, but the um, the molecules are too large for our bodies to absorb. Mm. So it's just going to stay on the surface of the skin until you wash it off for that reason. I mean, it's also hypoallergenic. So for folks who have sensitivities, um, then don't worry about it. Like you will not have any kind of adverse reaction to it. Uh, avoid lubes that have glycerin, which is a sugar derivative and sugar in your genitals mm. is not nice. It feeds yeast. Uh, avoid parabens. Um, parabens are a um, shelf stabilizer and, you know, there are some studies, there hasn't been like a wide enough, like a large enough sample size, but there's some correlation between um, use of parabens and certain kinds of cancers. So just err on the side of being careful. So we're saying yay lube and use discretion. Yeah, totally. Um, and I admittedly don't know enough about this as I should. And so I Googled brands before this, yeah. we're going to talk about, and ones that came up as paraben free and, and at least more on the body healthy side, although I haven't read all the ingredients, so you should still are yes, good, clean love, blossom organics and aloe cadabra. Any of those ring a bell? Uh, the first two are ones that I have had personal experience with. Um, testing and and selling in the store, and then I would also I don't know about Aloe Cadabra, although that's not, that's very cute. Like name. Excellent name, very cute. Um, I would also say, um, well, Bayland has its own line of of organic stuff um, that's all plant based, and then Sliquid Organics is mm-hmm. another really great line that I point to for people um, who have sensitivities or who are concerned about ingredients. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Um, should I get to the other parts yeah, of the question? Yeah, yeah. There were um, there are uh, what parts of this are normal like. Um, uh, it sometimes actually hurts to have him inside her. Um, and like it might be doing damage to her organs. internal organs. My goodness. Uh, first of all, yeah, if you're not using lube, sometimes stuff is going to really hurt. And that's, and that's part of, that's part of why it is important to, to try it. Um, now if there are positions that are feeling uncomfortable where you're feeling like, and, and here I'm going to talk about first vaginal penetration, and then we can talk about um, anal penetration. So vaginally, you've got a cervix at the top of your vaginal canal, and that's like the knob of tissue that's going to prevent anything from traveling further up into the uterus. It just has like a tiny, tiny hole in it that allows menstrual blood to flow out and semen to flow in if that's a thing that's flowing in there already. Um, but it's not. that's why you don't get tampons stuck or anything like that because mm-hmm. you've got that stopper. There are some um, positions in sex that will tilt the body so that it's kind of just like a clear straight shot to the cervix. Um, some people really enjoy 
the feeling of having their cervix bumped. Um, there can be some nerve endings around there that for some people is pleasurable. For other people, it feels like they're bottoming out and they're like, ouch, okay, whoop. You want to just, you want to cool it, cool it on that. Um, so if that's the case, I would recommend positions where deeper penetration is not as much of a concern or, you know, um, like closing or tightening up legs or even like crossing ankles or stuff like that is going to just create, uh, like prevent things from going up there. Sure. And also spotties are so fucking cool and diverse and just like different shapes and sizes and textures of genitals. Like, of course there are going to be people who are, I don't even want to say better or worse, but everybody's going to be like a different fit together. Now I am thinking of penises and vaginas, but I'm, that goes for other things as well. But, um, it just, it makes sense that certain positions with somebody might feel awesome and with somebody else might not, or certain paces or lengths or durations. And then this squarely fits into the category. I think of, you should talk to each other about things and like, Hey, what's feeling good. Is this too much? All that. Um, and all of those can be zesty conversations to have. Absolutely. And I would also say that the person oftentimes like it's configured so that the person being penetrated is going to be the person who's also passive and not doing like active thrusting. Mm. Um, but if you want to switch it up and you want to try where the person who has, I'm assuming like the person whose penis it is or the person who's wearing the strap on or whatever is the person who's not moving as much and that you're kind of fucking them Cheers back. to that. Because then, then you really get to control the depth of penetration that's going on, the speed of penetration. Um, but yeah, in terms of internal organ damage, uh, if you are not bleeding or anything like that, you're probably good. Uh, if it doesn't feel good, then you want to make sure that it's feeling good for you. Otherwise, what is the point? Um, and then speaking of, should I talk anally? Yeah, totally. Okay, let's talk butts. So, hey. Butts, butts, butts. Butts, butts, butts. We've all got them. They are so fabulous. Um, and they, we all have pretty similar anatomy. Um And uh, there's a lot of misconceptions around anal sex and how to have it safely. First of all, lube is not optional. This is something that is just true. Like the the butt does not create its own lubrication. There's like a little bit of rectal mucus that's not enough to like actually allow anything to sort of slide in or to thrust. Add lube, add a lot of it. People ask how much, a lot, and then add more on top of that, a lot. Add it onto the thing that's going in the butt, add it to the butt. Put it on everything. Put it on your toast. Lube is so important. <laughs> I cannot stress this enough. Um, Don't use Marmite as lube. No, absolutely not. Vegemite stays in the mouth. Um, <laughs> or doesn't, I guess, if you ask me. I'm not a huge fan. Um, anyway, uh, but yes, uh, people often experience pain during anal sex because you're trying to push past the internal sphincter. So you have the outside sphincter, which is your butthole. Then like an inch further in, you have the internal sphincter and that one is um, involuntary. So it relaxes when it wants to and not a second sooner. So people who are like, yeah, anal sex, it just has to be painful. You kind of just have to get past the pain. Don't don't believe those folks because then you're trying to storm through that second sphincter before it's ready. So like wine and dine the ass. You have to take a long time, really warm things up, external massage. Like don't think that you're going to go from zero to penis or zero to dildo or anything like that in a day. It takes a lot of warming Give up. Give the sphincter time. Give it time. Like it's beautiful. And like I, I feel like we're so goal-oriented in the sex that we have sometimes. So, you know, slow down. Take on your the, time. On the note of goal-oriented, before we move on, which we do need to do soon, I want to return to the first part of the question just for a sec. Yeah. Um, like totally foundation of celebration of lube, 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 and more lube. Um, whenever you feel dry, totally go for it. But also, this is reading into the question a little bit, but um, 
it's also so yes lube on top of natural lubrication but um for some people do become at least or, or most people i think do become at least slightly more naturally lubricated with foreplay and so i just want to just layer on to what we're talking about like also if when you're having sex with your husband this is um you're kind of like going right for it and like all penetration right away. Like you were saying, like, you know, got to give the sphincter time. You got to give the vagina time too. Like, and so, you know, if there are things that could feel really pleasurable to you, um, in addition to, or before, um, there is penis and vagina intercourse, like you're talking about, it's really okay to talk about that and ask for that. And I want to celebrate that too, that you shouldn't put pressure on yourself to like, if you're feeling really turned on and you totally want to go for it, full on penetration, lube, lube, lube away. Whenever that moment is for you, however early or late in the encounter is. But it could be that to make things even more pleasurable, you want to do more other things first. Kiss each other everywhere. Touch each other everywhere. Talk about what you want to do to each other. Um, hands and mouths. Cheers to that. All of the above. Woot. And that doesn't negate yay lube, but... And also lube for that stuff too. I think, I think there's also, you know, <laughs> Hey, like I am, you can tell how passionate I am about this because also people, you know, we, we think of spit as something that we can use as lube and that's totally true. But if the point of sex is to be enjoying ourselves and enjoying the other person or the other people that we're playing with and not feeling tired and worn out or jaws or, or whatever, like asking you ask so much of your body during sex and so constantly being able to create spit on top of everything else that's going on is a lot and like you shouldn't you shouldn't have to feel like you constantly have to you know have this this very moist environment where you can keep spitting onto somebody's genitals um <laughs> if you use a water-based lube and you find out that it's that's drying up a little bit spit can reactivate the formula it just sort of rehydrates it um or you can have a spray bottle or whatever or you can use a silicone-based lube which like i said is not <laughs> is not water soluble so that when your saliva goes onto it like it's not going to wash it away you're not going to be eating a bunch of the lube um but people are like you must be crazy lube and oral sex how about you try it Try it and let me know. Um, let us know. It is magic. Um, yes, use the tools that human ingenuity has provided for you. You cook, you probably yes. almost all cook your food, right? Yay, Get some fucking lube. <laughs> yeah, that's how I feel because people are like, oh, but it's cheating. And it's like, what is this game? What do you win if you do it the other uh -huh, way? Like, uh -huh. You know, in the same way, have that a popsicle, get some lube. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. And people are like, "Oh, but it'll kill." You know, if I talk about it, it kills the mystery. It's like, <laughs> here's the thing: the mystery is like, is my partner enjoying themselves? Yeah. Is this an okay I thing want this to, feel to do? Even more pleasurable. Yes, kill that mystery. Find out what is it. Yeah, what is there to lose? Cheers to lube. Lube, <laughs> lube. We have one more question that we're gonna do in like three minutes. I'm sorry. We're yeah, do really quick. That's okay. <laughs> we can't. We need lube, lube, lube all day. Um, question three is lube. Should I get some? <laughs> <laughs> question three which we're really only going to spend a few minutes okay. on and okay, then talk okay, more okay. about later is <laughs> I am queer but not openly or obviously so how do I make myself available I'm not very good at being the initiator like oh hear this yeah <laughs> yep 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 and my first I'll just throw down because my first instinct with this is like 
yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's tough and people presume things about you that are not necessarily so and I feel you and that happens to me and it's hard and it's hard and it's hard and if you don't usually feel comfortable being the initiator of, of dating or other things in life, like, oh my God, I feel shy so much too. And But um, something that we've said in other episodes, or the Twana episode, which we always refer to, episode six, about like if you want to learn how to like... Uh, talk to people in terms of like asking them on a date, cultivate your skills and talking to people like in general. And so my thought here would be, um, regardless of those who you are attracted to, as much as you feel comfortable being open about your queerness in life with friends, with colleagues, with, and then once it's just kind of like out in the air, it doesn't have to feel like this big reveal that you're only sharing if you want to sleep with someone. And I know, I know, I know that's easier said than done, but, um, I, I think, yes, it can be hard, but that's that's my my first, first instinct. Anything else? Um, well, first of all, it sucks that we live in a culture that by walking around just day to day, people make assumptions, I mean, in ah, general, in general about yes, each other. Yes. And then I think also that people are presumed hetero until proven otherwise. Yep. Thank you so much for saying that. Yep. It's... Ugh. Ugh, it, ugh. Nauseating. The Terrible. worst. The, the worst. worst. Let's not do that. Anybody who's listening to us, let's not do that. Yes. Let's not presume. Um, there are uh, communities, there are events that are coded as not that. There are places that are specifically queer communities. There are, you know, dance nights that are specifically catering to queer people. Um, and or like subsex. It's, it's not just about uh, like a certain sexuality. It could be about any any number of things. But there are there are places where that's possible. I don't know where this um where this listener is, is calling from, but like calling from writing from, um, but there are opportunities sometimes in some places geographically to be in spaces that are, are presumed queer until proven otherwise. Um, Mm. so that can be a way to sort of like not worry about having to have that conversation. Like then it becomes, it's like, it, it is negated so that anything else that you say on top of that is, is already sort of taken care of. Um, so that's definitely one option and one option for sort of getting your bearings. But I also think like fortune favors the bold. I really do believe in that. And I think like be the person that you would want to have approach you. Um, like mm-hmm. if it's, if it's a scary thing to be like, Hey, what's up? Like you are a very cute person. And I was wondering if it's okay if I give you my number and you can take it or leave it. Um, like that's a super scary thing to say. It is terrifying, but that is definitely something that I like when people say to me, so I've started trying to say it to other people and it doesn't always work. Like it doesn't always mean that everyone's like, yes, success. Like we are now life partners, but, um, it, it makes me feel good. Even when it doesn't like, it doesn't happen. Nobody ever walks away from that kind of situation being like, oh, that was terrible. So I think, I think there's like a fake it till you make it there. Nice. Good luck. You got this. Yeah, Totally. Quickies. Quickies. Just to do quickies. Oh, no, no, it's not. I'm going to have a theme song for everything. All right. Um, My quickies, uh, um, again, we are still in the world, in the United States of America, reeling from the Hobby Lobby decision, which is epic bullshit. Um, But there were two tweets that expressed the same, pretty much the same thought that I wanted to share that I really liked. Um, Avery Edison, who is at A. Edison, said, if you want to be a true Christian, you should not be in a position of power that allows you to deny women birth control coverage, which I really liked. Um, and then uh, similarly, just after this came out, um, Rebecca, who is at home at at home pundit said, uh, women don't have to have sex. Okay. 
Religious people don't have to own businesses. Stop being an employer if employment laws bother you. And I really liked both of those reframing it away from uh, from whether corporations are uh, religious to trying to get back to the tenets of the thing that you profess to believe. So I am angry, 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 angry. And, um, you know, let's all uh, donate money to Planned Parenthood and organize to fix this shit. Hmm. I'm talking about legislation as well. Because this legislation shit is bullshit. Well... <laughs> Um, so just many of you may have heard too about that there's a proposed bill in California, which in trying to address rape culture on college campuses is trying to just get more, more clear about the language with which they talk about enthusiastic consent or they say affirmative consent. And so here's a, an excerpt from the bill. Um, it is affirmative consent is an affirmative, unambiguous and conscious decision by each participant to engage in mutually agreed upon sexual activity. Consent is informed, freely given and voluntary. It is the responsibility of the person initiating the sexual activity to ensure that he or she has the consent of the other person to engage in the sexual activity. Lack of protest or resistance does not mean consent, nor does silence mean consent. Consent must be ongoing throughout a sexual encounter and can be revoked at any time. The existence of a dating relationship between the persons involved or the fact of past sexual relations between them should never by itself be assumed to be an indicator of consent. So to that, I say, hell yes. Yeah, that's pretty much perfect, isn't it? But guys... Of course, as you may have seen, this has launched the outrage machine. There was a professor, there was a, uh, a professor at, I think, George Mason University saying that, um, you know, the only person who would, who would say out loud yes before having sex is a prostitute. <laughs> there are just all kinds of crazy, crazy things. No, for real. There's, you know, people saying like, you know, it's, it's just so ridiculous. You know, sex should always be just implicit. And, you know, and this all, all of the, all of this goes back to this idea that like chalking up rape cases to um, to a survivor just like being, and this is presuming often um, female survivor, which I know is not always the case, but you know, they're like, oh, just, she just, you know, regretted, she had, we got a little too drunk and then regretted it afterwards, which is utter bullshit. So I can, the only, the only thing that I can get behind as like a possible resistance to this is like, this should be common sense. Like it's not, we shouldn't need legislation to tell us that what is stated in this bill is how things should be. Yes, this should be hearts and minds and values and just shared culture. I mean, I feel as strongly about this as I do about anything, but it is just so unfortunate that I think until culture shifts, we do need legislation out front of it. And I'm inspired that people are talking very proactively and and, uh, and outwardly in this. And a lot of people are like, you know, why would people, you know, ever talk about sex essentially? But in the bill, it says explicit consent, not, um, not necessarily verbal consent. And so I just, to end, and I know I'm doing a long quickie as I tend to do, um, but Dave, will you please help me scroll down on your computer because I can't find where my gentle, gentle. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Got it. Um, I just want to put this uh, Tara Culp wrestler on think progress wrote this perspective that I really agree with, which I want to read as the end of my quickie. Um, Affirmative consent isn't based on the idea that every sexual encounter is a rigid contract between two parties. No one is suggesting that college students need to run through a checklist before unbuttoning each other's shirts. Instead, it's more about broadly reorienting how we approach sex in the first place. Here, here. 
The current societal script on sex assumes that passivity and silence, essentially the lack of a no, means it's okay to proceed. That, on top of the fact that male sexuality has been socially defined as aggressive, something that can result in men feeling entitled to sex, while women have been taught that sex is something that simply happens to them. And aside from Stephanie, we know that this is not across the board and that sometimes the gender dynamics are reversed here, but um, rather than something they're an active participant in. It's not hard to imagine how couples end up in ambiguous situations where one partner is not exactly comfortable with going forward, but also not exactly comfortable saying no. Under an affirmative consent standard, on the other hand, both partners are required to pay more attention to whether they're feeling enthusiastic about the sexual experience they're having. There aren't any assumptions about where the sexual encounter is going or whether both people are already on the same page. At its very basic level, this is the opposite of killing the mood. It's about making sure the person with whom you're about to have sex is excited about having sex with you. Making sure someone else is enthusiastic about what you're doing with them requires you to consider their wants and needs. Think about how to bring them pleasure and ultimately approach sex like a partnership instead of a means to your own end. So cheers to that perspective and cheers to this bill in California and may it pass and continue inciting uh, more discussion about this nationwide. I can tell. Uh, I, I, I'm if if I if I look like Avital looks, you have both you've smacked our gobs. I think <laughs> that we're both totally gobsmacked that there's any sort of resistance there's to this notion. There's a lot of resistance that to this notion. everyone involved in a sex act should want to have sex. I know, but it's just but. There is, and we need to keep talking about this and finding better ways to talk about Fuck. it and be, be uh, you know, creating culture that celebrates affirmative consent and um, all of the above, all of the above. It just, everybody go and, and read about this and write to politicians in California. And That's the longest quickie, maybe even for me. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, the nine Taoist thrust is never going to be talked <laughs> It's going to be really difficult to top that one. I, I, I'm not saying I'm not putting it beyond you. I'm just saying. Is that a challenge? <laughs> yes. I'm just, I'm just trying to imagine what a world would look like if we were not afraid to have these kinds of discussions. And mm. if we were not afraid to say yes, if we were not afraid to say no, if we were not afraid to hear yes, if we were not afraid to hear no. Um, I, I cannot imagine the kind of terrifying sex that this, the opposition is having. Oh God, how sad, right? I feel, I feel, I feel very sorry for them. Yeah. And I hope that they figure shit out and stop it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Stop legislating this way. God. Uh, okay. I have so many feelings. Um, <laughs> uh, okay. I will, I will quell the tidal wave of emotion, but I, my quickie kind of actually fits into these other ones. Okay. Um, cause I went to go see Jenny Slate's film, the obvious child. And I wanted to talk about it because it is, the most mainstream uh, on-screen portrayal of having an abortion that I think mm. I have ever seen in my entire life. And I have to say that I'm so excited um, to have that, that story be represented um, or starting to gain representation in media because it's something that still is supposed to be a shameful, unknowable mystery that is never talked about. And there's, of course, a, a spectrum of different experiences of it. This is just one. But one in three women in the United States. Yes. There's so many people, so many people having abortions. Um, and for it to, to be shown in a way that I think is very personal and very sensitive, that isn't like that being pro-choice um, or wanting people to have access to abortions mean that people love abortions that we like 
think they're rad and would have them every day if we could, that it's, that it's, it's always going to be, you know, it can be a difficult decision for people to make. Sometimes it's not a difficult decision, but it's a difficult process. Sometimes it's not a difficult process, but it's difficult to negotiate with the other people in your life that, that all of that can exist. And that there's still this sort of like unequivocal, like, I know this is what I need to do. And you, you see the entire process and it's done with so much heart and so much, um, humor and positivity and also with positive portrayal of a male partner. Um, and, and I think that is really fabulous and also something that we need to see more of. I want to see this. And supportive parents. And, and, and it's not, and it's not just like a go along, get along, um, like, you know, after school special about it either, because there's just Jenny Slate is, is a very powerful person and is freaking hilarious and I was like I was dying I mean you see clips of her stand up and it was just the funniest and and most like I don't know she was talking about like if I if I may can I okay she was talking about her um her experience of like wearing underwear and she's like you know that it doesn't just sort of come come off at the end of the day feeling fresh that it looks like the the panties like (laughs) dropped into a container of cream cheese and had to (laughs) army crawl their way out and that's what opens the movie. So it's like you can tell that there's like a certain irreverence and, and openness that she talks about her life with. Um, and it's it's hilarious. I recommend it to everybody. Like definitely go see this movie. Excellent. Yay. Cookies. That's it for this episode. Thanks again so much to Avital. And if you'd like to stay in touch with her and catch a performance of hers, check her out as Fancy Feast at fancyfeastburlesque.com. And also a huge thanks to our friend Dave Ratzlow, who's been helping us out in a photography way. Um, He's a Brooklyn-based photographer and he specializes in weddings and events and does portraits and performance photographs. And if you're looking for any of those things, we highly, highly recommend him. You can learn more about him and see his work at www.ratslow.com. That's R-A-T-Z-L-O-W. And we just, we say it all the time. We have to say it even more. Thanks so much to all of you for being in this conversation with us. Thank you for downloading. And um, if you haven't already, find us on Facebook and Twitter. And if you dig what we do, consider telling a friend about us. Consider checking out patreon.com slash sex for smart people. Throw us a buck or two per episode. That helps us keep afloat. And our next crowdsource question, well, Actually, in in lieu of a crowdsource question, we're going to take a cue from something that arose in this episode. We would love for you to send us your healthy breakup stories where you loved each other and you still love each other, but it's honestly the most loving thing to split up. We would love to hear from you and we would love to share some of those stories on the air. And on our next episode, we will be joined by Dr. Roxy Manning. She is a psychologist and nonviolent communication coach and consultant. And from her website, it says, when she works with couples, she focuses on creating empathic understanding between the partners to identify strategies that will lead to mutually satisfactory change. That sounds awesome. She is awesome. And also, as I said, you know, we always say you should talk to each other about things and We're passionate about cultivating in ourselves and also sharing some more practical tools for how to talk to each other about things. And nonviolent communication can be one addition to that toolbox. So 
We look forward to seeing you next time on Sex for Smart People. And thank you so much again for joining us. You are the sexiest. Lube is the sexiest. You lubed is the sexiest. (laughs) 